Hey, this is Matt Stacy, youth pastor at New Life, and this is our podcast. I hope that the preaching and teaching you listen to here encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with God. This podcast is a ministry of New Life, and as such, is completely free to the listener. That being said, if you feel led to give to this ministry, we want to make that available to you. You can text GIVE to 833-793-0451. You can also give online through the Tithely app by searching New Life Tabernacle. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the message. On Wednesday night, amen. We are in our eighth lesson of the book of Revelation We have just looked at two letters back-to-back that were quite difficult. The one letter written to a church that was compromised. The other written to a church that was overly tolerant. And then tonight, we look at a church that has an altogether different kind of issue. Let's pray over this before we dig in. Jesus, we thank You for another opportunity in Your Word. Lord, I ask that You would help me to teach in a way that You can anoint. Help me to say everything that You'd have me to say. Nothing more, nothing less. Let the seed of Your Word fall on good ground tonight. Help us to be doers of Your Word and not just hearers only. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. We're looking at the letter written to the church at Sardis tonight. The church at Sardis. The city of Sardis was the next city that would have been on the postal route of this postman that was delivering these letters to the churches. Sardis was... 35 miles southeast of Thyatira, the church that we discussed last week. Sardis was considered to be maybe the greatest of Greek cities in its day. It had a great reputation. Once it was the capital of Lydia, It was said that the mythological King Midas with his golden touch was from Sardis. Sardis is said to be the first place that silver and gold coins were minted. It was a city that was believed to be impregnable, easily defended. And yet, history shows us that This city fell twice due to carelessness and lack of watchfulness. It was devastated in AD 17 by an earthquake. And by the time that this letter is written to the church that's in this city around AD 95, the city of Sardis was dying and decaying. The church that was in Sardis mirrored the city in that respect. With that being understood, kind of covering the city there, let's look at the letter itself. 
chapter 3, verse number 1 of the book of Revelation is where we are at tonight. Verse, the first verse of chapter 3 says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and are dead. First thing we notice is the picture of Jesus. And every letter Jesus reveals something about himself that's important for the church to remember or to know. Here he reveals again the fact that, and it goes all the way back to chapter 1, the fact that he's got the seven spirits and the seven stars in his hand. The seven spirits, of course, refers to the completeness, if you will, of the Spirit. It refers to the seven manifestations of the Spirit. It does not refer to seven separate spirits any more than Jesus is separated into three separate gods. It's referring to the manifestations of the Spirit. The seven stars we had revealed to us in chapter 1 refers to the leadership, if you will, of the seven churches. So Jesus, right off the bat, right up front, tells the church, I have what you need. Talking to the church at Sardis. We need everything that the Spirit has to offer. As the church of the living God, we cannot function without the Spirit, without the gifts of the Spirit, without all of the manifestation of the Spirit. We need everything that the Spirit has to offer. And then the question has to be then, as Jesus is standing there and He's revealing Himself in the letter to have the seven spirits in His hand and the seven stars, the leadership, if you will, of the church, the question has to be asked, there is no, there is no uh, softening the blow, if you will. Jesus just starts right out and He says, Thou hast a name that thou livest. And if nothing else followed, you might think that is positive. They've got a good name. They've got a good reputation. This is a living church in Sardis. That's a church on fire in Sardis. That's, a, that's an alive church in Sardis. Jesus said, you've got a reputation, you've got a name, that you're alive. And then he follows it up and he says, but I know that you're dead. And so it looks like a compliment, but really it is a rebuke and it's right out of the gate. You know, we live in a culture that's fascinated by death. The world spends fortunes trying to avoid death, trying to overcome death, trying to push death down the road just a few more years. The world also spends a fortune, interestingly enough, entertaining themselves by death. The most popular movies are crime uh, shows. The most popular books are mysteries where crimes have taken place. People are fascinated by death. Interestingly, they don't want to experience it for themselves. 
but they love being entertained by other people's deaths. We are a culture that is fascinated by death. And you know, it's easy to identify a dead person. It's not hard to identify a dead person. All of all dead people have something in common. Their heart's not beating. They have no pulse. It's not easy to mistake a dead person. If their heart isn't pumping blood, there's no life that's there. Easy to identify. When a battery doesn't work anymore, we call it a dead battery. And it's pretty easy to identify because it's not giving any life to whatever it is that it's plugged up to. Had a couple of microphones tonight that were dead. When a vehicle won't run, we call it dead. It's a dead vehicle. Whenever it dies, we use that language. It dies. Not the engine stopped running. It's dead. It died. We know and we can identify death. But when it comes to a church, how do you identify a dead church? How do you point out a dead church? How do you put your finger on the pulse of a church to find out if the church is living or if it's dead? Chuck Swindoll comedically describes what could be known as a dead church this way. He says, their sanctuary is a morgue with a steeple. It's a congregation of corpses having undertakers for ushers, embalmers for elders, and morticians for ministers. Their pastor graduated from a theological cemetery. The choir director is the local coroner. They sing embalmed in Gilead and amazing grave, how sweet the ground. You might describe their worship as stiff. They drive to church in one long line with their headlights on. When someone joins their membership, the church office immediately notifies their next of kin. Each week, they put an ad in the obituaries. The church van is a black hearse, and the church sign is a tombstone. Their motto is, many are cold, but few are frozen. Now that is a dead church. That's a dead church, and there's no question about it. If dead churches were that easy to identify, we would have no problems. We'd be able to point them out a mile away. You can avoid that church. That church is a dead church. I wish churches were that easily identified, dead churches. Unfortunately, people in churches can live off of past reputations for a while, prolonging the understanding of the masses that that is in fact a dead church. One writer put it this way, he said that churches are similar to stars in that astronomers tell us that light from a polar star takes 33 years to reach earth. That star then 
could have been plunged into darkness 30 years ago and its light would still be pouring down to earth. It would be shining in the sky as if nothing happened. A dead star shining solely, and catch this, by the light of a brilliant past. And no one knowing that it's a dead star. Let me ask you a question. When you look at the stars at night, can you identify which ones are dead and which ones are shining bright still? According to astronomy, we're unable to because we don't know because it takes 30 years for the light from a star to reach the earth. They could have been dead long ago. We find here that the church of Sardis was just like that. It had a bright past. It had a shining past. It was a growing congregation. There was revival in the church of Sardis. You would have loved to have been a part of the church of Sardis. Gifts of the Spirit were in operation at the church of Sardis. The church of Sardis had influence both in the church and outside the church. It was a happening place. It was the place that you would want to be. If they had social media in that day, they would be the ones who have got the best videos of what's going on in their congregation. And it would make you sit there as they play what happened in their service the previous Sunday. And it would make you think, I wish my church was like the church of Sardis. That's the church. That's the past that they had. Somewhere along the way, though, rot set in. And what was sad and what's sad that we find from this letter that's written is that the church didn't stop growing numerically, but they did stop growing spiritually. It wasn't that the church lost its members and it dried up and died and closed its doors. No, the doors were still open and people were still coming and they were still having new people come. That was all happening, but there was no spiritual life in the church. The spirit was absent from the church, and apparently they had no idea. What used to be an alive and vibrant church filled with the spirit was now just a church that was more like a social club that was void of the spirit. They were living off of yesterday's victory. And that's the, that's the tragedy of this church of Sardis. They had influence because of who they used to be. What they used to do. What they used to accomplish. And they were surviving off of that reputation. And so many people can survive off of a reputation that they build. But it takes, it takes a, a little bit, if you will, to have that crumble. They had all the makings of life. And in fact, if you were there that day, look from the outside looking in, you might still believe that's the happening place. That's where everything's going on. You might would, if you would have showed up there, you might would have experienced a vibrant worship team, but you would not have experienced a move of the Spirit. You would have experienced if you had showed up to that church in Sardis, a bunch of programs that would have caught your eye and caught your attention and you would have thought how well and organized this church is and the system that they've got going on. But there was no anointing there. 
You would listen and you would hear the preaching and you might be uh, tempted to say, wow, how talented that preacher is that pastors the church at Sardis. But also you would have to admit there's no conviction here. And nothing happened when the word of the Lord went forth. What was missing, what was missing was a move of the Spirit. What was missing is things were happening. Motions were being gone through, but there was no life that was there. They were dead, but they looked alive. To everyone else, they had them fooled. To everyone else, they looked alive. Jesus said, I know you've got a name. You've got a reputation as a church that's alive and well and functioning and growing. You're the it church. You're the church that the the organization would like to promote and everybody would like to pattern their self after. You're that church. You've got a name. But I know deeper, I see deeper, the all-gazing, all-consuming eyes of the Lord says that I see further and I see that you're not alive, that you're dead. And you know what's sad? It's sad that they deceived all the churches around. It's sad that they deceived uh, everyone else. But what's worse, the worst thing, the greatest tragedy is when you deceive yourself. It's one thing to convince everyone else that you're doing okay. It's another thing to convince yourself. Because your conscience knows at the end of the day when things aren't right. But eventually, if you tell the lie long enough, you can convince even your conscience. It's called a searing of the conscience. That everything's good and that everything's okay. They themselves became deceived. And so this letter is written to a deceived church. And no doubt whenever the letter got to them, they were thinking because they were, they were self-deceived, they were thinking the Lord is going to have good things to say about us. Why? Because they have the reputation and that reputation spread even to themselves. They believe their own reputation. So they expected a word from God and a positive word from the Lord. And instead, what they got was a rebuke and they got a warning. One writer said, it's almost like you can see the Lord in these next couple of scriptures as if he's the, he's the EMT rushing into the situation. And you've got the, the person that's in his last breath. And here's the Lord trying to provide life-saving efforts to that person that's dying. That's kind of the picture of this church. It's on its last legs. And here's the Lord showing up trying to revive a dead church. And He gives us in these next few scriptures a guide on how to revive a dead church. And if it can revive a dead church, I believe it could also revive a dead soul. A soul that is cold and dead inside. The first thing that he see, that he says, he says it in verse number two. This is his guide, if you will, on how to revive a dead church. He tells the church, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Wake up, the Lord says. Be watchful, Jesus says. There's something wrong. 
You believe that you're alive, but you're really dead. And I need you to wake up is the message, the first message, the first thing that a church that is dead has got to do. It's got to wake up and it's got to be watchful. It's got to, we've always got to be on our guard spiritually. We've always got to be watching. You cannot afford, I cannot afford to take my eyes off of the road in this hour and in this day. We've always got to be paying attention. Nothing is as it seems. You need to be everything that you consume, whether you listen to it, watch it, read it, whatever it is. You need to be paying attention to the agenda of the enemy that would try to corrupt your soul and bring you to hell. He says, wake up, be watchful. If we aren't vigilant, if we aren't watchful, love of the world can lull us to sleep. You know what carnality can do? Carnality will rob you of spiritual hunger. Spiritual hunger is something that I can't give, that the pastor can't give, and he can't give it to me. And you know what? The Lord can't even give you spiritual hunger. You've got to have it for yourself. You've got to guard spiritual hunger with everything in you. You've got to wake up every day and guard your hunger for the things of God, for righteousness, for holiness, for purity. Because if you don't, there are things of the world that will corrupt it and will fill you up with things that do not matter. And that's what carnality does. We only have a limited supply of hunger. And we, it can, it'll be filled with whatever we desire it to be filled with. And if we're not careful, if we're not paying attention, carnality will fill that up so that by the time the Lord is ready to fill us, we have nothing left for Him to fill. Be watchful. Be vigilant. Peter said this. He said, be sober. Be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is not a game. This isn't just words that I'm up here saying. This is serious business. And it matters for churches and it matters for individuals. If you want to avoid dying spiritually, you've got to start guarding the hunger that's in your heart. We have a promise from the word of the Lord. The promise is they that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled. But if you're not hungry, there's no filling. And so many times there are churches that wonder, why are we not seeing God move? Why are we not seeing what we want to see? Is there hunger in the church? The question has to be asked. Or have we filled it up with everything else? Be watchful. Stay awake, Jesus says. The next thing he says, strengthen the things that remain. He says, be watchful. Wake up. And then he says, strengthen the things that remain. That reminds me of Matthew chapter 12, verse 20. He said, a bruised reed shall he not break, and a smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. If there is anything left, anything at all, that loves God and the things of God 
You have got to do whatever you can do to keep it alive. Somewhere in the church of Sardis, there was a little bit of life. Just a little bit, somewhere. Jesus was telling them, you've got to grab a hold of that, and you've got to strengthen it. It reminds me of the time my, in my mother's flower garden. There was a flower, and it looked dead to me. And I told her, it's time. You might as well just pull it and throw it away. And she said, oh, no. All you need to do is put a little water on that, and it's coming back to life. And I kind of, I didn't, I didn't know, so I was just like, whatever. She waters it within a week. That flower is back. It's vibrant. It's alive. And the same can be true with spiritual things. There are things you might be saying to yourself, I am just barely holding on. I am just barely making it Sunday after Sunday and Wednesday after Wednesday. If you've got anything inside of you, that loves God, even a little bit, if you've got the faith of a mustard seed, just, just a small amount of desire to live for God, if you'll start watering it, if you'll start taking care of it, if you'll go back to the basics, back to the first thing, strengthen those things that remain, life can come out of that. Amen. That's what Jesus is telling the church. In other words, He's saying, throw another log on the fire. There's fires that are almost gone. They're kindling. It, it, it's almost blown out. But what you've got to do is you've got to take care of it and throw another log on the fire and make sure that it doesn't go out, that it keeps burning. It's what he's telling this church at Sardis. And what's true for church is also true, as I've been trying to communicate, for individuals. We've got to search our hearts every day. Are we becoming cold and indifferent to the things of God? Are we allowing spiritual disciplines to slip? Are we allowing things to just become routine? Are you, you know better than anyone else knows because you can fool everyone else, but you can't fool God. And you know inside of your heart whether or not things are, are slowly becoming cold and slowly dying and whether or not you need some help. The help comes from the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says that if there's anything that's still alive, if there's anything inside of you that still loves God, that wants to live for God, you've got to strengthen it. You've got to take all of your attention, that attention that you you were pouring to carnal things and the temporal things and you've got to aim it at those things of God that's in your life that are dying and fading but there's still some life there and you've got to pour your energy into it and life will come back. Spiritual life will come back into you. Amen. He says we've got to strengthen those things that remain. Verse number three, he gives us, if you will, a couple more uh, ways to revive a dead church. He says, Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. The next thing he says that we've got to pay attention to. He says, remember what you have received and heard. Go back, he says, to the beginning. 
Go through those spiritual archives. Remember where you were when Jesus first found you. Remember the sermons that kept you alive year after year and week after week. Remember the prayer that kept you going. Go back, he says. Remember the things that you've heard and that you've seen. Go back. Remember Remember the preaching that saved you. Remember the experiences in the presence of God. When you're dying spiritually, it won't be long. It won't be very long at all. And you're going to receive a temptation. And it's going to come along and it's going to sound like this. It's going to say, you know, those experiences you used to have, those weren't really real. You know how you used to talk in tongues? That was all in your mind. You know the Word of God you used to have faith in and stand on? That's just a book written by men. And if you're not careful, you'll start believing the lies of the enemy. What do you've got to do if you're dead spiritually? You're dying spiritually. You've got to remember. You've got to go back and understand. It doesn't matter what the world says. I really did speak in tongues that time. I really did get my sins washed away. I really do believe the Word of the Lord. You've got to go back and you've got to remember. And you know what? That's interesting. You can't, you can't keep going forward. If you're stuck, you've got to turn around. So many churches, they get bogged down in heresy and false doctrine. And instead of turning around, they just try to figure it out by plowing forward. It'll never work. You've got to go back to the beginning. You've got to go back to the Word of God. You've got to go back to that purity of the Word of God. And you've got to remember what it was like whenever He first found you. Sometimes we've just got to go back to the basics. Remember, He says. The next thing He says is hold fast. Keep the truth. Hold on. He said remember and then hold on. Don't quit. Keep believing. Keep standing for the truth. Refuse to compromise. See, part of, part of the thing that'll give you life, something that'll breathe life into you spiritually is having to defend what you believe. Whenever you start getting pressure from the outside world, you can either fold or you can go deeper into the Word of God and you can cement what you believe and you can hold fast to it. Sometimes just holding on, just defending the faith, just defending what you believe will increase your faith, increase your belief in the Word of God and you'll find that fire inside of you burning stronger than ever before. Jesus says to this church as a recommendation on how to live again on how to wake up part of that is keeping the truth hold fast to it and it's important because as much as they lived in a culture that wanted the church to compromise and the church to change their message and the church to be you know quote-unquote as we talked last week tolerant as much as all that we live in a culture that's the exact same way and they would like the church to take the Word of God and cut out the hard places and compromise a little here and tolerate some sin there. But the church can't do it. That's how a church dies. A church dies by compromise. A church dies by tolerating and letting sin go and not confronting the world of sin. That's how a church dies. But how does a church live? A church lives by defending the faith. A church 
lives by standing on the Word of God. A church lives by believing the truth and not compromising. Hallelujah. Some people will look at us and if you, if you don't change what you believe, your church is going to wither up and die. I've got news for the world. If there's just one Bible-believing believer in a church that is standing on the Word of God, that church is alive and well in the eyes of God. It's not dead and it's not dying. doesn't matter what the world has to say about that church. How do you breathe life into a church? You stand on the Word. Amen. You want to see a weak church, a church that's beginning to fold, a church that's beginning to rot and decay, start looking at whether or not they're standing for truth. How often they just teach and believe the Word of God. Jesus said to this dying church, in order to revive, you've got to hold fast. Keep the truth. And lastly, He says, and maybe the most important, repent. He says, repent. He tells that congregation, repent. Get right with God. Admit that you can't survive without God. Because it was a revelation to them. They thought that, see, everything's fine. God's pleased with us. We've got the programs going. We're doing everything that we're doing everything right. And then all of a sudden, Jesus hits them with this curveball that says, you're not alive like you think you are. You're dead. And in order to revive yourself, you've got to repent. You've got to go back to the basics and you've got to find out what's pleasing to God. Go back to the Word of God. Repent. And then Jesus gives a warning. He gives a dire warning to the church at Sardis. He says, and it, I don't know, I don't know how you can read this and not get stirred up. I don't know how you can read it and something in your heart not move for them. He says that if you don't repent, if things do not change, I am going to come and I am bringing judgment. He says, I'm going to come. I'm going to come to my church and I'm going to bring judgment. And this reminds me of the history of the city of Sardis. See, Sardis, again, was considered impregnable, undefeatable. It wasn't conquerable. But what happened is the guards that were supposed to be guarding and keeping watch neglected their duty. And because they neglected their duty, the enemy found a way into that city. And that city that was considered impregnable ended up being conquered. And the same will be true of a church. If we're not careful, if we're not watchful, if we don't pay attention to what's going on and what's trying to creep its way into the house of God, we'll end up being corrupted and Jesus will have to bring judgment to the house of God. Then we look at verses 4 through 6. Let's read them really quick. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. I love this part. This tells me no matter how bad it gets, no matter how dark the world gets, 
no matter how many of the people of God fall away, there will always be a remnant of faithful believers holding on to the truth. And the same was true of the church in Sardis. In the middle of a dead church, there were a few believers who were remaining faithful. Remaining faithful in the middle of a dead church, they were holding on tightly to that fire of the Holy Ghost inside of them, to the things of God, remaining faithful, doing everything they could. In every hour, in every generation, you may look around and it may look like everybody's compromising. You can be sure not everybody's compromising. Not everybody's bowing their knee. There is a remnant of faithful believers. We have a choice. Either we can be a part of them or we can choose not to. But our choosing not to is not going to cause that remnant to cease to exist there will be a remnant of believers there will be somebody faithful to the word of the Lord for those that remain faithful Jesus gives a promise let's look at this promise really quick first he says they are going to walk with him in white robes because they are worthy Why are they going to be able to walk in white robes? Because they were faithful. Because they stayed faithful to the word of God and the things of God. Jesus accounted them worthy to be given a white robe. The next promise. He says, I won't blot you out of the book of life. So we see a promise here. If we stay faithful, we're going to find our name written in that great book. But it's going to take faithfulness. It's going to take holding on. It's going to take keeping believing when other people aren't. Your name will be written in the book of life. And thirdly, he says, he will confess their names before the Father and the angels. Jesus is reaching back here to the promise that he gave in the Gospels. Let's look at these two places. Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 and then Luke chapter 12 verse 8. First, let's look at Matthew chapter 10 verse 32. Jesus said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. Luke chapter 12 verse number 8. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. What's Jesus doing here? What is Jesus saying? He's saying that if you'll stay faithful, if you'll stay committed to the Word of God, whenever you get to heaven on that great day, Jesus is saying, I'm going to vouch for you. I'm going to say, this one's one of mine. This one stayed faithful when everybody else was compromising and bowing down and, and, and going the way of the world. This one stayed with me. This one stayed faithful. That's what Jesus is saying. And we've got a promise today. I hope we don't get distracted by how many people are bowing and how many people are doing it that way, doing it another way. I hope we stay committed to just the word of the Lord. You know what the worst thing that you can say? I'm doing such and such because so-and-so does it. So-and-so does it, so I'm doing it. So-and-so says it's okay, so I'm going to do it. That should never be the standard. The standard must be the Word of God. 
And it doesn't matter who is doing it or who's doing what. It doesn't matter how great they are or how righteous we think they are. You might be looking at somebody you think's alive, but Jesus sees as dead. You better be careful looking at standards that are not the Word of God. You better stick to the Word of God as your standard. Amen. When somebody asks you, why are you doing that? You better be able to go to the Word of God or in the very least say, I'm doing it because I'm committed to God. And his word. I wonder if we could stand. I'm coming to a close. If the music would like to come. How to revive a dead church. It's not easy identifying a dead church. Because a dead church can have all of the signs of life. They can have all of the things going their way. They can have all of the right things. They can, they can, you can learn the things of God. You can, there are some people that are not really Christians, Brother Jeff, they've just, they've just hung around Christians so long that they've picked up some of their habits. They've learned how to be Christian, but they've not become a Christian. So many times, if you're not careful, there can be churches that have got all of the steps down. They've got a checklist of all the things they've got to do. But inside, there's no life. There's no Spirit of God. There's no move of God. There's no touch of God. There's no deliverance. There's no Holy Ghost. We've got to have a move of the Spirit. That's what matters. That's what brings life. I hope that every time we get together, there's a sign of life that's here. And it's the moving of the Spirit. I hope that in your homes, there is a sign of life in your home. That there's moves of the Spirit. That there's moves of God inside of your houses. I hope your children are raised in a house that's alive with the presence of God and the Spirit of God. I hope your children are raised in a home where they hear somebody speaking in tongues every day. I'm thankful for the times that I heard my mama praying and talking in tongues over me. I'm thankful for the times that I woke up and I could hear my mama outside of my door praying for me, praying for the will of God on my life, praying for anointing over my life. I thank God for every time my mama crept into my room thinking I was asleep and laid hands on me and prayed for me while I was 15 years old. I can still remember her coming into my room and laying hands on me and praying for me. That's life. There's spiritual life that is there. A dead person doesn't go into the room of their child and pray for anointing and pray for the covering of God over their life. It takes spiritual life to get up in the middle of the night with hunger and pray and seek God and pray for a lost soul or pray for direction for your family, pray for health in your family. That takes spiritual life. I hope that you find it in your home. I want to open these altars tonight. I know it's Wednesday night, but I wonder if we could do some soul searching. I don't want to be like the church at Sardis. I don't want to be dead on the inside and everybody think I'm alive for God. I want to be living for God. I want to be alive. I want to keep the fire burning. I wonder if tonight we can just throw another log on the fire. I wonder if tonight if we can...